back to a Country First conversation. Today, Congressman Kinzinger will talk about the Country First movement and share some testimonials from our Country First followers, sharing their stories about why they decided to join Country First. Remember to visit our website, countryfirst.com, and share our podcast with others. Thanks for joining, and here's our host, Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Well, hey, everybody. Thank you for uh, listening to Country First Conversation. Again, I wanted to do something a, a little bit different this time. We've had some great guests. We've we've talked a lot about, you know, all the issues out there and some good friends of mine, some people I don't really know, but have done great things. And what I want to do today is talk a little bit about, you know, how did we get started? And looking at it now, you know, 10 months after we got started, how far have we come? And what are people saying? I think it's important sometimes when you you have a movement or you have a, a group of people to to communicate with them, you know, where we've been, where we are, where we're going, to have that discussion about, you know, what's really on the line. And so I, w- I want to go over a little bit of the history and, you know, just let you know that it was, I'd say about an, a year before the election, I'd always been really concerned with things like conspiracy theories with, you know, lies. And I remember back in 2015, there was this conspiracy theory called Jade Helm. And, you know, people, when you describe it, they'll remember it, but you forget you ever believed it in the first place. Jade Helm was this idea that, you know, Barack Obama was going to send the federal military to overthrow the Texas government. And the interesting thing is the governor of Texas had activated the state guard. That's not the national guard. It's like a volunteer force you know, guard, but saying that he's going to keep an eye on the federal government. And he knew darn well, of course, that, you know, Jade Helm wasn't a real thing, but instead of just telling the truth to people, he, uh, he, he went on with that and, and, and pretended like, Hey, it's much easier to, to just tell people what they want to hear. And so I started to see that in a lot of the misinformation and conspiracy theories. And of course with the internet, and then when COVID hit, people were spending a lot more time online and you started to see this idea of Q of QAnon and, and, you know, some of the misinformation around COVID, around the vaccines and 5G towers causing COVID. And so I made the decision to really start speaking out because I, I've always said, you know, in my life and in my time in politics, I'm not going to be in this job forever. Uh, you have to look back and say, what was it worth? What did you do with your time you were given, you know, in every aspect of life and in politics or something kind of particularly important to do the right thing and say the right thing. So that all built up. And of course, after the election with the former president saying things like, you know, the election was stolen and, and, you know, I've been to a lot of places around the, around the world and uh, I've been to a couple of war zones and, you know, and I've seen what happens when people don't believe in their government. They don't believe in the system to be able to have their voice heard. And, and it leads to just a country falling apart. And, you know, we like to rest on that the United States of America has these great institutions, and we do, but we've been steadily going after these institutions and discrediting them for a long time. And and you start to see after the election, you know, uh, the former president convincing, in theory, half the country that voted for him that the election was illegitimate. And so then, of course, January 6th happened, and that's when I just said, you know, look, this is this has to go from speaking out sometimes and and, and making points to you know, a full on realization that there are a lot of people in this country that don't feel represented and that we've gone way too far. So I did this video on, I'd say a week or so after January 6th, just telling the truth about the Republican Party. And uh, in that process, the country first movement was born. And, 
you know, as it's progressed over time, I've realized that there's just so many people that feel lost in the world, lost in the political world. They, they want to do good things. They have their opinions. You know, some may be on the far left or far right or any spectrum in between, but they just want to come together and do the right thing for the country. They miss those days, you know, looking back and you know, being able to disagree, but do it agreeably. I just saw a, a poll recently that just had a surprising number. I don't want to quote the number because I don't remember exactly, but it, a surprising number of people that are self-identified conservatives or liberals that are open to the idea of this country becoming two countries, like actually breaking into two countries, a red and a blue country. And, you know, you think back to the time of Abraham Lincoln, and of course, you know, even though this is a fraction of what he faced, you sit around and you sometimes think about it and you go, man, it would have been really easy for Abraham Lincoln to say, fine, just let the South go. You know, I'm a new president. I want to I want to have it easy. But we look at him heroically because he wouldn't, you know, because he stood and he he preserved this union. And that's why I think we're not at the point of civil war, but I think we're at the point where we have to recognize that if we don't do something, if we don't put our country first, there's going to be real problems. So since that late January, we've been, you know, gaining followers every day in this movement. Uh, we're, we're growing to where we're endorsing candidates. We're recruiting volunteers. Uh, we're starting chapters on college campuses. We're reaching every corner of the country with our message of honesty, uh, transparency, good faith debates on issues that matter. And we become a united voice speaking the truth to a political system that's clearly broken. We've accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. And I sometimes we can put that up against, you know, the entrenched parties. And say, man, we have a way to go. But if you just look at how far you and I and this movement has come in that short amount of time, I think at any other time in recent history, you wouldn't have been able to do something like this because people felt, you know, generally well represented by the two parties. You know, and in that time, we've had amazing guests on the podcast I've mentioned that want to just bring truth to reality of what's happening. Uh, and, and the thing I'm extremely excited about is after the Afghanistan debacle really started to unfold. Uh, I, I just had a real desire to help the Afghan refugees. And so we started a, a country first Afghan refugee fund and we raised over $140,000, all of which was donated to groups like No One Left Behind, uh, Homes Without Borders, uh, these different groups that are helping these people get settled because that's what the American dream is. And, you know, the great history of this country is taking people from tough locations and from tough lives, giving them an opportunity, especially people that, you know, stood up and fought with the United States when it mattered the most. I'm extremely proud and I'm very humbled to say that we've been able to build this community. It's a community of people of goodwill trying to save our country from hate, from lies that have invaded our political system. You know, since the beginning, we've been talking a lot about division and how this has been used as a political weapon to highlight differences, to separate our country into two tribes. Tribalism has just it's been really on my mind, on my heart lately. And uh, it's something I think we all feel passionate about. But, you know, as a movement, we are all very different. You know, we're extremely diverse in age, race, background, political affiliation. But the thing that unites us is the ability to look past our differences and to stand for basic principles. I get into this sometimes. So, you know, I'll go out and I, I vote. I'm a conservative, you know, so I go and I vote on something in a conservative way. And you 
you look at Twitter or any of the online stuff or even some of the emails that come in and it's like, oh, I thought you were different. You're just a Republican. You're just a conservative. Well, I think somebody that would send that or think that, you know, doesn't understand what this movement is about. This movement isn't about trying to get somebody to change their mind. It's not about trying to get somebody to become a conservative or a liberal or a moderate. It's about saying, can we restore this conversation again? And how do we take that anger that we have and not direct it at each other, but direct it at the fact that we have been convinced that that's the only way to do politics. So that's what I want to do today. We get a lot of letters that come into country first from our followers that have sent us to talk about, you know, hey, we have our differences, our feelings are similar or whatever, but you can see these divisions in this country and they can be overcome because we get inundated with, you know, on the media that this will never be fixed. But there's a lot of people that think that it can, including me, and I think including you, hopefully you. But in that time where a lot of people feel unseen, they feel politically homeless, I want this podcast to remind you that you are not alone. There are more people like you, like me out there, and Country First is your home. It's our home because we're going to continue to fight together. We're going to mend divisions. We're going to put our country first, and I want you to know this isn't something that I can do alone. This isn't something that you know me and some of the volunteers can do alone. It really does. The success or failure will ride 100% on whether people believe we can actually get past this bitter divisions in this country. So, okay, so first up, we have a note that I want to read from Charlotte. Charlotte's a Republican. She said, Dear Adam, I have become disenfranchised with the Republican Party due to so many of its political leaders pandering to Donald Trump and his supporters. I'm tired of the hateful and divisive rhetoric spewed by these individuals. What happened to compromise and working across the aisle? Our political representatives are more interested in being reelected or grasping for personal power than working for the betterment of the country. The storming of the Capitol on January 6th to prevent the peaceful transfer of power, which is a hallmark of our nation, was disturbing to say the least. The fact that there are so many Republicans that are refusing to hold Donald Trump and his ilk responsible is unsettling and demoralizing. I can only hope that the members of the party that I once proudly voted for will have the moral courage to put country above party and do what's right. Charlotte, look, I 100% agree with you on this, and... You know, people ask me sometimes, well, how can you stay a Republican? And, and for me, that, that answer is fairly simple because the party that I know is the party that Charlotte remembers. You know, over the period of the last few years, the kind of authoritarian version of the party, the angry version of the party, the divisive version of the party, which probably always existed to some extent. I'm not naive, but they've taken over. And uh, they've taken over because, A, we've let them, because we haven't had a counter message to that. And I think it's important to look at this and say there, you know, for all intents and purposes, two major parties in this country that set the direction of it. We can give up on the Republican Party or we can fight for it, just like the authoritarians fought for it. You know, there may be a a, a day that comes when you realize maybe all is lost. But I I share your concern, Charlotte, and, and, and frankly, disappointment when a lot of the people I work with that I know, you know, behind closed doors come up to me and say, Adam, thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for sitting on the January 6th committee. Thanks for telling the truth. I can't do it just because, you know, I'll lose my reelection. I I chuckle. I don't say anything. I'm nice to them. You know, thanks for saying it. I don't want to discourage anybody from telling me that, but 
I'm like, man, I come from a pretty Republican district too. And, uh, you know, but sometimes you got to put it all on the line. And what I worry about is 2020, as bad as it was, is that a setup for 2024? What happens next time the vice president of the United States doesn't do the right thing? What happens next time, you know, not only 138 people object, what if it becomes a majority of the House or the Senate? And I got to tell you, somebody that's lived this for 11 years, I'll tell you, once a protocol is breached, once a red line is breached, you never go back over that red line. You never go back to sanity once you've done insanity. Here's a question. Like, we keep coming up on, you know, government shutdowns. That used to be a rare thing. Now it's pretty common because, you know, we always kind of race to the bottom on that. I recently put out a video. uh, I'd encourage you to see it if you haven't. I posted it on Twitter and I think I pinned it to the top with, you know, Anthony Gonzalez had recently announced he's not running again. And, you know, I saw all the people out there, punder, punder, pundit class saying, you know, well, this is, this means that the fight's lost and gosh, Anthony should have fought. And I'm like looking at it and, it and it bothered me because there were 10 of us that voted to impeach Donald Trump. I think I'll speak for the other nine. It took a lot of courage for them to do that. Um, But to then say that now the 10 have to bear the burden of saving the party while the other 180 or 190 in the party can stay silent, that's not how you change a party. The reality is others have to speak up, others that see this concern, others that aren't sold on the fact that the Republican Party can be authoritarian. So, Charlotte, I want to say thank you for the letter. And let's go now. Here's another one. This is from a Democrat, Maggie. So Maggie says, Dear Adam, don't worry about the extremes of anything in life. It is not where the truth lives. We each have our own gifts to share, and you're sharing yours, and that's all that matters. Stay true to your inner core, and all will be well. The courage is what is needed now, and that is indeed part of your gift. To stay in such faith is universal and will appeal to all sides of an issue, left, right, or center. I'm a left-wing Democrat, progressive, and I Know that my heart is in the right place for me, as I recognize your heart is in the right place for you. That is a different place than mine. That it is in a different place than mine is of no concern to me, as I know the blend of our individual perspectives will make life better for all concerned. Continue on your path, knowing that you have the support of amazing citizens of all persuasions. Take good care. I trust you. I support you on your path. You know, and I... That one stood out to me so much, Maggie, because, again, you know, when you look at social media or you see comments on the Internet, a lot of the times you see the negative ones. And because really, I guess if somebody's happy, they're not going to go on and tweet happy tweets, just angry ones. And, uh, you know, if you look at Twitter as a some kind of a reality, which, by the way, I think only like 18 percent of the United States is actually on Twitter. But if you look at that, you would think everything is so extreme. And I think that's why we've. Part of the reason we've come to believe that, you know, moderation is hopeless. Um, We've become a tribal society. You know, I mentioned a little earlier, if I vote, you know, something moderate or conservative, there's always going to be people say, oh, we thought different. We thought you were better. I thought you were a different person, but you're just a Republican. You know, and I know, look at what's happening to some of my friends on the other side of the aisle. Josh Gottheimer, look at... uh, uh, mansion, Senator Mansion. Ah, we thought you were, you know, that's just, that's what the tribalism is. But for you, Maggie, to recognize that there is value in both, right? In every aspect of that. 
So there's the old saying, like kind of, you know, conservatives need liberals to move them forward and liberals need conservatives to kind of hold them back from doing too much. And you, you see that when people take power in Congress, particularly of the last kind of decade or two, I think both sides just overreach whenever they have power. And they're always kicked out of office because the vast majority of Americans want some moderation. And so don't change what you believe, but be able to recognize the value in what the other person is saying or doing. Now, I will hold a caveat for that to say if somebody's pushing things like authoritarianism, uh, getting rid of elections, or you know Donald Trump won despite the numbers, I don't think there's any room for that in compromise. I think that's something where we have to say, no, no, only if you accept democracy in this republic. So now we'll go, we, we did Republican, we had a Democrat, I want to go to an independent. Here's Laura. So Laura said, I do not identify with a party, although I've always declared Republican. I vote for the individual and for what I feel he or she can do and represent for myself and for my country. I'm joining this movement because I feel that things are changing within the Republican Party and that it has become injected with the former president's insecurity, lack of integrity, and self-indulgence. We, the people, have a right to vote into office a representative that will serve both us and the voters as well as his or her conscience. And the representative has a duty to serve both the voter and the country. I hope to see this movement spark a flame that leads to a fire raging on to blaze a path for honest, loyal, and engaging political representation. I am an American. I love my country. I vow to stand up for democracy and bravery and most of all, integrity. Thank you, Adam, for your service to our country and your courage to start this movement. I look forward to working besides you, beside you. Laura, thank you for that. And, and, and I applaud you on your open honesty. You know, we, we are in a moment where I've recently gotten respun up on the Matrix because the new Matrix is coming out in uh, December. I don't know if it's going to be any good. I hope so. But I came to the realization, you know, it, I feel like to an extent politics is the Matrix. You know, you're, you're convinced. You're plugged in the matrix. You're like, you got to be far left. You got to be far right. You got to pick a tribe. If you don't like Joe Biden, then you're a Donald Trump guy. If you don't like Trump, you're a Joe Biden guy, right? Well, the truth is we need to unplug from that. So look at things like, who is it? If you think of two populations right now, let's take the inner city. And let's take the rural community. Now, both parties have their core base there. Democrats, inner city. Republicans, the rural community. They are so divided against each other. But the truth is, if you look at the inner city and the rural community, they have the same problems, right? It's high amounts of drug use. There's broken homes in both communities. There's joblessness. There's hopelessness. There's like disappearing future. There's shuttered factories. Why is it that the rural community and the inner city are being pitted against each other? Shouldn't they be allied with each other? And that's what I mean when I say like, let's unplug from the matrix. Let's recognize that there are real problems out there. But the same arguments for 40 or 50 years that have been leveled by both parties are not the answer because they haven't been the answer because we still have these problems. Let's bring in like this new blood, this new, these new ideas and say, how can we actually fix income inequality? How can we fix climate change? How can we fix the national debt? But also recognizing if you raise everybody's taxes to 100%, you got a problem there too. There are people with ideas out there that we've never even thought of. That's what we have to be able to do. We have to be able to think in that and, and take that anger. You know, I, I want to make it clear this movement, Country First, is it's not about like, let's just let's be mealy mouthed. 
let's just kind of hang out, smile, hold hands. Like there is some of that. We need to learn to be able to talk to each other again. But I think there's a place for anger and I think there's a place for anger in it. But the anger isn't, you know, at the other side of the aisle. The anger should be at the system that is failing us because as Americans, we deserve far better than this. You know, why is it that when we leave Afghanistan, even if we disagree on the war, whether we should have left, we're united in the fact that, you know, there are people we have to take care of because that is something that genetically in our DNA unites Americans, that we have to help those down and out, particularly those that have put their lives on the line for us. So let me go uh, another one to uh, Nick, who's a Democrat. I'm a late 20s Democrat who identifies as part of the LGBTQ plus community. My views are definitely left to center, but the ideals of unity and reaching across the aisle have always appealed to me. Trump was the only U.S. president in my lifetime to completely forsake this goal and to attempt to destroy the very core of our democracy by preying on hatred. We hear a lot lately about how there are two Americas with liberals and conservatives viewing each other principally as mortal enemies instead of fellow human beings. I think this toxicity is the single greatest threat to the United States. I also see Congressman Adam Kinzinger emerging as a prominent anti-Trump voice in the GOP. He's clearly doing this out of principle, despite great political risk and personal consequence, and I respect that. So here I am. Well, Nick, thank you. Um, you know, look, I think your ability to look past that political affiliation policies and to see that there are, you know, bigger issues out there that, you know, preying on hatred and division of a U.S. president is something that, man, maybe as a congressman you can get away with, maybe even as a senator. But as a president, you have to rise above that. You can have your views, but you have to rise above division because a, a, a country, I think, and I'm sure – you know, some historian out there will be able to point to some president that was really divisive. But I can tell you, at least in my lifetime of 43 years, or I, I think even within recent memory, I can't think of a president so openly divisive as Donald Trump was. And it's hard to see how a country can sustain that because the people that support him take on that divisiveness and the people that he opposes, understandably, get extremely angry and uncomfortable. Here's the truth. Everybody has fear. You know, even the most conservative, like pro-Trump Republican has fear. And the furthest left-wing Democrat has fear. Actually, if you boil it down, probably on a political perspective, not personal, but political perspective, their fears are similar. This country is going to leave me behind. And truth is, if you could get those people together and just explore that fear, I bet they'd end up being friends. I've seen it happen. And that's why I'd encourage everybody, you know, if you don't have a friend from the opposite political spectrum as you, I'd encourage you to get one. And I'd encourage you to get one and, and try to just get to know them as people. Don't try to convince them of your side. Um, but have, if, you, if you're up for it, have a conversation and hear what it is that drives them. And I think you're going to see, truthfully, that you kind of see their points. Everybody's got their points. So, you know, what I wanted to do is just share kind of where we've been you know, starting out as a movement to restore the GOP, no idea where this is going to go, where we are. Well, where are we today? We're a, a movement that has grown way beyond my imagination, you know, that has made a difference in political races, that has made a difference in conversation people has had, have had with each other, has made a difference in the tone of politics. 
And the question now is, where are we going? Well, I can give you a vision. That vision is we're going to play in more races. We're going to continue to bring the country over the party. We're going to continue to have righteous anger, but righteous anger directed at a system that's failing us and not directed at each other. You know, righteous anger that's directed at the forces of division and not the forces of unity or not the truth tellers, but the liars. You know, that's where I want to go. I want to continue this to, to grow. I want to have a movement that exists outside of the political matrix that can make a massive difference in people's lives. But the truth is, when we look at where are we going to go from here, I don't know. Because that's not reliant on me. It's reliant on all of you. And, and being able to join and say you're part of this, you know, to support the movement, to volunteer, you know, for our college campuses that are trying to reach out to young people to make a difference, that's going to be what determines the future of this movement. And so I'm excited. Look, it's, it's, it can be fatiguing for all of us. There's days you wake up, you see the news, and you're like, man, is this ever going to change? But I want you to think, you know, in, in Springfield, Illinois, there's the Lincoln Museum. And if you go in there, there's a picture for every year Abraham Lincoln was in office. And the very first picture, he looks extremely young. And then the last picture, he just looks really tired. And you just see the weight that those decisions have made, you know, that he has made, the choices he's made to preserve the union sat on him. And, and look, he, he died not necessarily knowing if it would work. Sure, there was, temp, there was peace, but maybe that wouldn't last. But I can tell you, you know, looking at what he bore, those difficult decisions, I think what's being called for us right now in this country early enough to prevent having to make decisions that deep. I think if we all, you know, move this together, many hands make light work. I think we can make a huge difference and nobody will have to bear that kind of burden again. This country's worth it. You know, as somebody that's served overseas and knows plenty of people who have as well. And, you know, whether they serve in the diplomatic corps, peace corps, or the military, you know that wherever you go, wherever you are, you're proud to be an American because we make a difference. And I want to leave you with one last story about a time I went to Kenya. So I had gone to Kenya and Ethiopia, and I went as part of a congressional trip, and this is me and another uh, member of Congress. And we, I remember we went out to this village in Kenya, and you know we're in these SUVs, and we pull up to the village. And I don't even really know what we're doing. We get out, we look at this uh, co-op that sells milk. I'm like, great. They're like, yeah, well, the United States built this. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, fairly cool, but whatever. We hop back in, drive a little more to this other little town and get out. And I'm standing next to this house where there's a husband and wife and they have a couple of kids. And, and their land was really small. I mean, when I say really small, it's probably the size of your living room times about maybe three. And that's what they lived on. They had a house on that and they had two cows. And they proceeded to tell me a story about how they had these two cows and these two cows could only produce maybe a pint or two of milk. All you, you know, dairy ag farmers will probably laugh because I won't get all my stuff right here. But basically it was a pint or two of milk a day and it wasn't enough to even feed the kids. Well, a guy from the University of Illinois through USAID went to this village and taught everybody how to maintain, how to care for these cows, how to grow their own feed and everything else. And now the cows are producing 
whatever, eight, nine, 10 pints of milk a day. I'm not sure what the good number is, but whatever it is, it's a good number. And they said, you know, we could, we now have enough for our family and we take this milk to the co-op and we sell it and we make money and our life is radically different. And, you know, by the time they got done telling me this, there were about 50, maybe a hundred people standing around that, you know, didn't know who Adam Kinzinger was. They, but they did know one thing. They knew I was from the United States of America and they knew I was somebody important from the U.S. And they knew that the U.S. changed their life. And I got to tell you, you know, stories like that were small differences. You'll never recruit a member of a terrorist group out of that village because we made a difference in those lives. We don't have a right to give up on this country. And that's what Country First is all about. It's all about saying, you know, you may not want to give up on the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, fine. But you cannot give up on this country. Right now, we are in such a position that if we give up, we succumb to division, uh, we will have said that we arrogantly will be the last generation to leave our kids a country worse off than we inherited. So I just want to say to all of you, thank you so much. Thanks for being part of the movement. I really appreciate the opportunity just to share my heart with you in some of these letters. Keep those letters coming. I hope you have a great rest of the week. This has been a Country First Conversation with Adam Kinsinger. Thank you for joining today. The Country First team wants to hear from you. Please be sure to share in the comments or send us a note at info at countryfirst.com to share your thoughts. And be sure to visit countryfirst.com for our other podcast conversations. And be sure to subscribe to receive all the latest updates. Thank you, and we'll catch you next time as we put country over party.